I'm going to give you the question that was written on the forum as it was. Um, and I think I actually have something constructive to say about this that I didn't when it originally came up. There's something that I've read um, that has helped. Okay, uh, I'll give you the condensed version of this. Life coach, help. All right, demanding. Um, I need a man's perspective who understands psychology of healthy and unhealthy men. I hope I do. I'll do my best. Found out, found out in October the reason I've been in a sexless relationship for 15 years. I kicked my husband out. I believe I was in shock for the first three months and now trying to make sense of it all. Nothing makes sense. He is a porn addict. But as I've read and really pay attention now, I believe him to be NPD. There is no real empathy there. I also just realized one, via one of your videos that I must have CPTSD. It's a rude awakening and a tough pill to swallow. I have many questions. This man lied in many ways, telling me he was asexual, telling me men didn't want sex after 19 years old. Oh, well, that's, that's, that's a lie. <laughs> that's a good one. That's a corker. Um, I was obviously stupid and naive. No, not necessarily. I'm not sure that like these shaming terms that we, that we heap upon ourselves are all that useful. Um, perhaps a little naive. Stupid? No, you're, you're probably not stupid. I mean, judging by your syntax and your spelling, I wouldn't, and your self-awareness, I doubt that you're a, like a thick person. Um, what, what it is is that the, you have uh, brainwashing from childhood before the age where you could truly consent either way, and it makes you, it forces you to view the world through a um, that was convenient, convenient, hello, convenient to tyrannical, narcissistic, um, potentially sadistic personalities who are your prime primary caregivers or your parents. And because you were so young and it was so traumatic when that happened that everybody else who's tyrannical and narcissistic that you get into an intimate relationship with, whatever they tell you, it kind of like bypasses the common sense filter. It's like, oh yeah, maybe the moon really is a hologram and the earth really is flat or whatever. Uh, or guys really don't want to have sex after 19 years old. Um, okay, I questioned him always. Lies, lies, lies. Blaming me. He, he blamed this lady who's asking the question for her bad childhood. Telling her they were in fact having sex. Wow, that's ballsy. That's a ballsy move. We never have sex. Yes, we do. We literally never have sex. Yeah, we do. I would know if we were having sex. No, you wouldn't. We never have sex. Yes, we do. <laughs> that's ballsy. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. <laughs> uh, okay, I'd explain one time two years ago. I'd explain. Look, one time two years ago doesn't count as regularly having sex. Yeah, one time two years ago, is a, that's, that's a long break. Um, not every time this happens in a relationship. You know, I, I know some guys for whom this thing has kind of happened like this, where uh, the sex drive has, has just really, really gone down to the point of being almost, you know, like dormant. Uh, but sometimes that can be a byproduct of depression. Um, and in the two cases I know of, both the guys were struggling with other issues and they put on a lot of weight and uh, the excess body fat levels, I, I've experienced this myself, I've been quite overweight, uh, carried too much body fat in my life as well, as a due to CPTSD, overeating. I kicked cocaine, I kicked smoking, I kicked drinking, but I couldn't kick the chocolate M&Ms. <laughs> that was tough. 
And uh, the more your body, as a man, the more your body starts carrying like fatty deposits uh, around the, uh, the the viscera, um, the less testosterone you produce, and the more estrogen you start producing. And your set your sex drive does actually start to uh, start can start to go down. Also, depression doesn't help, but that's not what we're talking about here. I'm just making that point that not every time a guy's sex drive goes down is it it, it you know something like narcissism or, or, or some dreadful personality disorder. Um, I brought, this is the lady speaking again, I brought him stats of how often normal married relationships have sex. I tried all the things and nothing. What does that mean? Don't tell me. I tried all the things. <laughs> and this isn't like, you shouldn't like, okay, I just want you to see the humor in this. That's all. That's all this is. Um, I don't know what the normal married stat, the stats for normal uh, married relationships are actually. I don't know how often you're supposed to um, have sex. Don't know, no idea. Uh, now that he's sober, in inverted commas, don't know what that means here because you didn't mention any alcohol or drugs. And seeing, or maybe you mean sober from porn. Don't know. And seeing a therapist once a week, he claims he wants me sexually now. Now that you're okay, he tells me I have to forgive him let him back in so I can finally be treated the way I should have always been treated. Okay. Yet when he says things, there is no emotional feeling attached to it. That's not a great sign. I'm not feeling what I think I should be feeling. I finally set a real boundaries in terms of when he can come around to see our almost three-year-old daughter. We got pregnant because I took ovulation tests and basically forced him to have sex with me or he would have rendered me childless. Okay. Um, so let's deal with these things one at a time. Uh, you said he's sober. Not too sure what that means here. Seeing a therapist once a week and says he now wants you sexually and wants to treat you the way you should have been, but he's saying it with no emotional effect. So this sounds like it is potentially some kind of personality disorder. Uh, with, like if he's a porn addict, that means he does have a sex drive. Um, if you if you know, let's assume that you know for a fact that he is. Um, and he knows that you want sex more than you're getting sex. So he's withholding something that you want. So that's odd uh, and, and not great. Um, you said you took ovulation tests and basically forced him to have sex with you or he would have rendered you childless. That's that's not great. You're not. I, I understand. I'm not going to break the context here and pretend I don't understand very well that you're asking me the question as the Spartan life coach, you want answers about narcissism and you don't want me to change the context and act like an agony ant, but like uh, you or any ladies, when you have problems in a relationship, don't force the guy to get you pregnant. Don't force, like I basically forced him to have sex with me. Probably shouldn't be doing that. Like you're probably not going to, extricate from your relationship very well if you're forcing somebody to have sex with you specific specifically with the purpose of getting pregnant it's like when women say to me like they pressure the guy into a relationship or they pressure the guy and in, in, even into a marriage and then afterwards they're upset when that same guy cheats on them or doesn't uphold his end of the bargain well when you pressure and manipulate people into doing things that they don't really want to do that's what's going to happen. So if I pressure you over here to go over here when you never really wanted to go over there, when I take my hand away, you're just going to go right back to where you were before. Like, you know, try and respect 
other people's like we want our boundaries respecting and we have to respect other people's boundaries as well he uses her this is the lady talking again as a bargaining tool meaning the daughter and another way to manipulate there's so much to say anyway i need help to stay strong i know what the right thing to do is just as i knew it before we married when i ignored my gut okay so you got married and you ignored your intuition about this Okay, anyway, I feel the crazy making is amped up now. It will be if he does have NPD and he wants something from you and he feels he's not getting it, the crazy making dial has to be twisted up a few notches. He's the victim because in his words, all he did was not have sex with me and lie about the reason why. Well, you told me that he didn't have sex with you, but the lying about the reason why, did I miss something? uh because men don't want sex after 19 years old okay that bit i don't know if we were in coaching right now i'd be like what was the lie uh all he did was not have sex with me when you deliberately withhold like you're not always going to want to have sex at the same time as your partner wants to have sex that's not going to be a thing but when you consistently see a pattern of behavior of withholding of affection and and intimacy that includes everything, you know, from holding hands and and cuddling all the way through to uh, sex. Then that's that is a, that is a problem. That's not all I did was not have sex with you. It's like, dude, I'm pretty sure in most religions, in most cultures, in most countries, like it's grounds for divorce if you don't have sex with your partner. Uh, I think it still is here. I think like if you don't maybe in the UK. I shouldn't reveal my ignorance by saying too much, but I'm pretty sure in the UK, if you don't consummate the marriage, it can be annulled without difficult uh, divorce proceedings. Um, yeah, anyway, let's, let's, not, let's not reveal my ignorance of, of things I don't really know. I know it's, it's not a small issue. It's grounds for divorce. Historically, it was 100% grounds for divorce. I'm pretty sure it is today, or not even divorce, like an annulment, you can just cancel the thing. Um, but as you know, as, as I know, oh, the lady is speaking to me, but as you know, Richard, there is so much more that went on. And now that we're separated, so much dysfunction is coming out. I don't really know much more that went on, but I understand that if the implication is MPD, then it's more than meets the eye for sure. For sure. He provokes and blames me for things when I try to discuss how I feel about the situation. I find myself in and about the things he in fact did yeah that's that's not great so the old uh, smoke screen like i don't want to answer questions about this i'm going to throw up a smoke screen and try and make this about something that isn't that's a very common npd tactic um for sure okay i'm just checking i'm on i think i'm on i did this before and i wasn't on okay i'm going to keep going i'll just assume i'm on anyway I need help to stay strong. This is getting too long. Anyway, I just need help to stay in my course and move far away from this. His porn was compulsive. Uh, here we go. I never even knew he was a sexual being. Side note, we met in college and did have sex then, but even then there were red flags that I wrote off. Idiot me. Oof. Never caught any of it. You, so you did and you didn't. The way it came out was I was writing down all of the crazy things he said and on paper it became glaringly clear it was not me it was him so i looked him in the eyes and told him i couldn't do this anymore i no longer need an answer 
What I know is I feel awful and I can't be a good strong mother to my daughter feeling this way. What I got was a blank stare to my tears and words. Yikes. Okay, that's that's bad. That sounds like um, personality disorder, particularly NPD. Weeks later, he finally broke down after another argument where he screamed, we have sex. <laughs> we have sex. I told him if, in fact, we've been having sex all this time and I didn't know about it, that I'm not fit to be a wife or a mother and that he, we should just lock me up. He punched a hole in the cabinet and dramatically fell to the floor and said, you already know, I asked. What? What do I already know? The only thing I ever questioned was if he was gay. Because he didn't want to have sex with you, you thought, yeah, you thought that maybe his sexual energy was being directed elsewhere. He finally said he thought he was a porn addict. I never knew anything about porn. I kicked him out. Lots of weird stuff has come out. I wonder how. He compulsively masturbated at work. The same guy who said that men don't want sex after 19 years old is jerking off at work. At home, etc. And then you went into the description of the types. And it cut off last time we did this Google Hangout. All anal, mostly shemale, bestiality where the animal... Oh, okay, so this is quite strong descriptions of, of, of sex here. So if you don't want to hear it, then maybe now is a good time to switch off. Bestiality where the animal is fucking the woman, teenage porn, uh, the list goes on and on. And I'm actually a very sexually adventurous person. I just never got the opportunity to, to be with this man. Not that I would have done anything demeaning. As you can see, I'm all over the place right now. Anyway, you can help me sort through and understand and finish walking away from the most covertly abusive relationship I've ever known. Covert abuse and abuse by omission, um, uh, atmospheric, ambient abuse, uh, uh, all that kind of thing is the worst because you can never really quite put your finger on it. And it all slowly erodes your sense of reality and your sense of self and your sense of right and wrong. Could he be NPD? Yes, he could be. So I started looking into trying to get more answers about um, narcissism and sexuality and, and the particular... I've had reported to me many times by people that the, that the NPD's uh, relationship with sex was compulsive or odd. So in my experience, it was odd, but it was odd like a histrionic or a borderline, as in just no boundaries when it came to sex and really having rather too much, uh, like not too much, oh, moral judgment. It wasn't very Christian of you, uh, as in it's, it's dangerous, dude. Like you can't just have sex with strangers every time you go out a weekend and down a couple of bottles of Blue Wicked. You're going to catch the AIDS or something that isn't good, uh, you know, it's not like, or you're going to get pregnant or you're going to get, somebody's going to hurt you one day eventually. Um, and I don't mean in the emotional sense. So that, that's all I really know of it. So the, uh, when, I, when I tried to find more information about this, I found some good information in psychoanalysis, psychoanalytic theory. Um, I found that Freud, as much as I, we sort of look back on him as being this kind of quite misogynistic, um, uh, sort of a phallocentric sort of a dude, you know, Viennese gentleman who had his opinions about women's place and men's place and all this kind of thing. 
But what he actually, uh, one interesting thing that he said when he looked into perversion, meaning anything that was considered deviant from the norm, he said, I, I, I'll paraphrase him because I can't remember the exact quote, perversion is so standard and everybody has a thing that would be defined by another person, person as a perversion. It's so commonplace that it means using the term, he said that we should completely forego, because it is so commonplace, we, we must completely forego the use of the term perversion as a pejorative or insulting or demeaning term. It's like, it's just human nature. And to use more neutral language, I think Zizek said it, again, I'm gonna to have to paraphrase, when it comes to human sexuality, it's never just one man, one woman, you know, they get together and that's it. There's always some added element, some fantasy element that needs to be brought in so that the, the, the sex is more intense and more um, enjoyable. Even if it's like as standard as, you know, sometimes you imagine you're having sex with a celebrity. I did my research recently. Um, I kind of thought everybody was like me. Everybody's not as like me as I thought. And uh, I looked like you can do this for yourself. You can go and look up like the most common uh, sexual fantasies. Uh, and apparently it's very common for people to imagine having sex with a celebrity or just with somebody else when they're with their partner. And then there's like, there's a list out there. It's from recent research, like the top 30 sexual fantasies split by men and women. And uh, it's interesting. It makes for interesting reading. Now, here we go. This stuff where everything that he seems to be really into seems to be boundary breaking. So there's two things here. One is, if he is cluster B, you can't diagnose him. I can't diagnose him. Neither of us are qualified for that. But some of the things you're saying here are suggestive of that. So let's say if he is in the cluster B, particularly NPD, this is a, a personality disorder that is boundary broken, that lacks proper boundaries, and is obsessed with breaking other people's boundaries, and particularly with breaking social taboo. Um, and that's why, I, I, you know, Sam Backnan has said, uh, have given us a few different filters for looking at NPD. One is to look at it as a mood disorder. So a lot of what NPDs are doing when they're like engaging in this odd, bewildering behavior, they're actually trying to go outside to regulate their own mood in much the way that the borderline personality is typically described as being unable to self-soothe and unable to provide self-worth so they recruit people and kind of force them to give them the self-worth and then hate them for doing it and feel ashamed and, and push them away and then feel guilty for having brought them in, pushed them away and then feel bad again and then they need self-soothe. So they repeat the cycle, they bring them back in, uh, you know, whether the borderline is really a vulnerable narcissist, the subject for a different day. So that's one thing. It's a boundary-breaking thing. It's a taboo thing. And he also said, uh, Sam Bachman also said, they can be seen as adrenophiles, people who are addicted to adrenaline, and that the garnering of narcissistic supply can be an adrenaline rush. It's actually like an endogenous rather than exogenous, meaning internal rather than external taking of drugs. Like I can make myself feel so good and so excited if I you know, manipulate people and garner narcissistic supply. This thrill-seeking thing, then I think becomes associated to the breaking of taboos and the breaking of boundaries. Sometimes I wonder if, because I, I knew, I've known two guys who are very narcissistic, a very narcissistic style, and they're very unbounded, and they tell me everything about their sexual 
proclivities, especially as it pertains to porn. And they've gone down the same route as this. And it was, in their words, they were looking for something. They were looking for some sort of a thrill. And I was like, but if you follow that logically, you're going down a tunnel of darkness where, you know, you don't really want to know what's at the end of that because you're just, you know, it, it can't lead anywhere good. So that there's the boundary breaking thing. And here's the second thing that I found by looking uh, more at, uh, just going to check I'm on. It looks like I'm on. I'm going to assume I'm on. I'm on. As far as I know, I'm on. Okay. The second thing that I looked into uh, from psychoanalysis, from psychoanalytic theory, uh, was the role of aggression. So a lot of these, um, they're called paraphilias. You know, it's not for me to say, it's not for anybody to say, in my opinion, what's conventional and what's not. Apart from like whether it's legal or not, or if it's going to hurt somebody, I think we can all agree you probably shouldn't be fucking doing that. But besides that, who knows? Like, who knows what's down the line, what's straight, what's acceptable? Um, that just becomes a, a part of culture. It becomes a part of the culture you're living in. Like, what is it okay to want to do sexually? But when it is particularly either particularly bewildering, like the further away you get from biological sex, which is presumably either uh, for the purposes of procreation or just to experience really intense intimacy, like a melding with another person, the further you get away from that to where you're like, I don't know, jerking off into a drawer, I'm looking at a drawer, going, you sexy drawer, take this. You know, where it's like at that level, it's actually a manifestation of aggression. Stick with me for a second. The aggression, when we say aggression, it's like when you talk about narcissism and shame, then really not experiencing shame the way that you experience shame. It's like an ossified, uh, calcified shame that is layered from years of neglect. So they're not experiencing it as like a hot flush in the here and now, but it is there, it does exist. Similarly with this kind of aggression that comes from childhood, it comes from childhood experiences, very often it's, it's deep, deep, deep in the unconscious and it's coming out this way. So the things that were mentioned here, uh, uh, porn that involves people who are, you know, it's not paedophilia, but they're uncomfortably young. Um, bestiality, uh, the the all all anal, like just an obsession with anal porn. Um, this kind of thing, you're probably talking about some kind of manifestation of aggression. Now, we normally think of aggression as I'm mad at you. I'm going to sling a rock at your head. Aggression can also manifest passive aggressively. It can also be um, manifest in bitterness and parodying. Some of the psychoanalytic theorists suggested that uh, in some of the cases where you see um, people seeming to want to belong to a certain subculture that is defined by its sexuality, that I, and, and they're like, I'm down for this. I'm really keen for this. This is who I am. This is... A, the psychoanalyst said, you know, have you noticed how that is happening? So there's kind of a passive aggression there. And the people who are involved in that are almost a parrot. So say if like your thing is, I'm a man, 
but I really love women and I want to be a woman. So the psychoanalyst is saying, okay, you have different degrees of that where it happens where some people, they just seem to want to be a woman, but some people want to be a parody of a woman. And that parody of a woman is actually quite angry. It's quite aggressive. And if you look just beneath the surface, it could be seen as mocking. So it's, it's that kind of aggression that we're talking about here that is so shoved down in the unconscious that it's leaking out in weird ways. And that explains a little bit of the sexual paraphilia type of thing. And uh, that's what I was going to go and say last time. And just the internet just died. I hope it's not died today. Am I on? I think I'm on. I'm hoping that I'm on. Okay. Um, if you have any questions that you want to ask me, Go ahead and feel free. Other than that, I'm going to stay on for about 15 minutes and try and get through another couple of questions on the forum. If I have missed your question on the forum, it's not because of any other reason other than that I'm a bit disorganized and I've left my marker in the wrong place. Um, so just send me, you know, send a message to uh, helpdesk at spartanlifecoach.info and just call the subject header forum question and I'll go back in there, try and find it. Okay. Uh, this one comes through from EV. I'm struggling with the belief that it is not him, but me who did things wrong. This doubting debate that plays out in my head, was it me or him, on and off? It has become a lot less often as I have educated myself on the subject and understanding is growing. I assume it must be associated with the flashbacks and the core belief mantra that's been playing for years, which you mentioned, there must be something wrong with me. There must be something wrong with me. This is something I mentioned elsewhere, uh, which comes straight out of my head, um, which is a mantra that I repeated. And, and if I go into an emotional flashback, it still comes up now, uh, that people with CPTSD who suffered, the, who suffered various types of abuse, whether it was over or covert, whether it was indirect, like through neglect or by omission or whether it was direct physical emotional psychological whatever eventually the child learns if i am the target of all this aggression and all this hatred um, and revulsion it must be because there is something wrong with me that's that's the child's logic and so that then repeats as a uh, as a message played inside of the adult's mind for the rest of their life it has been six months after the final breakup which lasted also six months it's been six months. You went through a six-month breakup. Wowie, okay. The relationship lasted a total of 16 months, and it ripped me apart, literally. I, I hope it didn't rip you apart, literally. I hope it, 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 figuratively. I'm sure you mean figuratively. It ripped you apart figuratively. I was a zombie. I got physically sick a lot more than ever. One of the reasons I noticed something is wrong. Yeah. I don't know what the rest of this question is going to say, but whatever was or wasn't going on in that that relationship what we can say is that was sending you into a pretty intense emotional flashback you know it wasn't it wasn't good for you the whole relationship was creating a cascade of uh, of flashbacks of emotional flashbacks one after the other here is an example of one scenario that has been playing on one of the playing on of the bigger factors in the situation Here's an example of one scenario that has been one of the biggest factors in this situation. I'll just rewrite it like that, I think. That I am a bad mother to my two kids, brackets, he's not the father, I'm divorced, dad lives 2,000 miles away, and the kids and I have pretty good contact with him. He never said directly that I'm a bad mother, 
And I was accused that I must be imagining it or taking his goodness to help the wrong way. Therefore, I must have a problem with myself. Okay, so you felt like it was implied that you were a bad mother. Okay. It was all done by constant criticism or being upset and not talking when I didn't stick to the rules or ask the question on the subject. I wonder what the rules were. And I wonder what the subject was. That I don't react the correct way or discipline my kids how he sees it. And I don't. Okay. Dramatic stories of what bad things would happen to my kids if I don't react correctly and discipline them. Oh, okay. So he was trying to tell you how to discipline your children. Oh, that's a really, really tricky thing. That's why I don't really like answering questions about parenting uh, because it's a very personal and intimate thing. In the same way, I don't tell people how to spend their money uh, or, or how to, like, what, what to do with their days. There are certain places I don't feel comfortable sort of, sort of telling people and uh, disciplining your kids is a very personal thing. He explained himself as he just wanted to have something to say in this house so he can feel he means something here. So he was saying, I just want to have a say in what goes on. So it means, it means I feel I, I mean something. Okay. He was upset at the slightest silly things or any kind of questioning of his authority and that he doesn't see me changing my ways. I never agree with him and always try to prove that I'm right. Could this be projection? He's accusing you of these things. <clears throat> How bad and unappreciated he feels. And if I could only do this one little thing one step at a time, it would show him that I really care and that he actually means something in this house and would be able to feel like a man. Apparently, I killed a man inside him and flushed him down the toilet like no one ever did before and gave up on him the moment he needed help. I didn't do anything to make him feel like a man again, just gave up and moved out. I think there are things here that I would need to know about for this to make sense that I don't know about. This is one example of the gigantic amount of guilt and shame used by him in all areas from the way I held a piece of furniture we carried right the way through to sex topics. I wonder what Freud would make of that. The way I held a piece of furniture we carried right the way through to sex. And I tried and tried harder and harder and everything that I did was wrong. I tried compassionate reasoning, reasoning all the time. If I only knew it would make things worse at the time. You should have done this. Why haven't you done that? You have a problem with yourself. No one normal does it like that. You're afraid I'm going to dump your sorry ass. Why is everything more important than me? Hours of repetitive monologues, etc. My question is, how can I work on finally believing without any more doubt that he was an asshole and stop doubting myself? Um, maybe, maybe there's a... It's not an either or here, like he's the bad guy or, or, you, or you're wrong or he's wrong. Maybe there's an, an option three here, um, which is that when people have CPTSD and they have, it, and they have it quite strongly and they're in emotional flashbacks a lot of the time, that their external boundaries are a little bit weak. They accelerate way too quickly in relationships. I'm, I'm very guilty of this. And their internal boundaries are also not very strong. So they, they struggle to tell the difference between my thought and your thought, uh, a thought that I'm having versus a feeling that I'm having, a somatic feeling versus an emotional feeling, a fact that I know to be true versus a feeling I just feel is probably very true, and so on. 
One leg is like two wheels, two cogs trying to come together, but there's bits broken off and bits in there that shouldn't be in there. And they were rolling together, but they were like creaking and splintering and making a mess and, and you know, spiking each other quite a lot. I'm reading probably, I'm coloring probably way outside the lines here based on, you know, you've sent me four paragraphs. I think that what happened is he was probably in a slightly more emotionally vulnerable state than you. Based on what you've said, it sounds like there was a lot more flashbacking on his part, but he was inducing flashbacks in you. And by the time you were done with each other, you had effectively, uh, you know, sent each other in so many different spirals of emotional flashbacks that we lose sanity. Like we lose sense of up from down, right from wrong, real from imagined. And it just becomes a mess. It's a mess. And, and no amount more of arguing or reasoning can fix it because, you, you know, to use the vernacular expression, you are driving each other crazy. He triggers you and sends you into emotional flashbacks. You trigger him and send him into emotional flashbacks. And then the, other, the only other question that is, that is really of value here um, that, that your brain might spring to is, well, who's having the most emotional flashbacks? And really, that's not a great question. The more sanity-inducing question here would be, how does this relationship make me feel? What was the impact on my life of this relationship? Okay, well, it turned you into a bit of a zombie and it started to make you physically sick. These are your words. So as a system that functions, how did you two systems function and, and, and perform when you came together to create another system, which was the relationship? Not well. Um, if you, if anybody has time and is interested, there's a, there's a whole field of study called systems thinking. Um, it's really interesting. And, uh, the, you know, the expression, the sum is great. The whole is greater than the sum of its parts is never true than when you're looking at relationships. It's never truer than when you are looking at relationships as systems, as, as interlocking systems where you two together create this unique energy. It's completely unique that can only occur when you two are together. And, it, and this it manifests as its own pattern, its own engine, that it will never happen again. It's, it's, it's there, and it's only you two that can make that. What was it? What did it produce? And how did it make you both feel? It sounds like he felt emasculated, uh, abandoned, uh, uh, abandoned, abandoned, abandoned. And you felt like he was attacking you and morally judging you and driving you crazy well let's consider the possibility then that he already feels like that anyway but he just got worse in the relationship because if you both got the cptsd thing going the closer you get to each other the more you flashback the closer you get to each other the more intimacy there is the, the more intense the emotional flashbacks become because intimacy is vulnerability and vulnerability is danger and so you start to flashback more so i would say you should, uh, your last question is how can i work on finally believing without any more doubt that he was an asshole and stop doubting myself what he is is a abandoned wounded child in an adult body who's never been shown how to be a man. He said the word man, 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 clearly. And his male identity 
his, his identity as a man is messed up. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that there's no way you could have done that in the period that you were together. Like it's it's unless you're just masking the fact that you are like an uber zombie witch doctor, uh, the idea that you would got him of his sense of his own manhood uh, in, inside of such a short period of time, it, it seems unlikely. He probably came to the table with those issues. Going out on an even further limb onto the twig of the branch that I was already on, maybe his father wasn't around when he was a kid. And what you ended up triggering by being a mother to your kids is issues that he's got from his adverse childhood environment and all of this stuff where he's trying to direct how you parent and have a say and, and have meaning. I want, you said, he said, you said that he said, I want meaning in this house. I want to be a man in this house. So he's not an asshole, though some of the things he did were definitely asshole-ish. He probably really wanted to be a father and probably really wanted to be the man of the house in however he understands that through his cultural conditioning, you know, through his map of reality, whatever that means to him. And it sounds like you responded to that by being a bit bewildered and just being like, why are you being so difficult about this? Because he couldn't just do it. He kind of was like doing it and having like approach avoidance around it. Um, in the same way that like maybe sometimes you said things to him that you didn't really mean. Uh, that's not about you being a bad person or saying things. That, like if he told me a story, maybe he could tell me things that you said and that you did that would sound bad. It's just that you both got the CPTSD and you're kind of triggering each other and you're triggered by intimacy. He doesn't know how to process his emotions. He's probably emotionally completely illiterate because of the trauma they experienced in childhood that's never been healed. And this describes the state of the majority of humanity, just walking around brokenhearted uh, with a mind that is trying to take up the slack of what a heart that is not functioning now cannot do. I think I just said something really deep. I'm, I'm rambling at half 12 at night. I'm pretty sure I just said something really deep. Oh, it's gone. I've forgotten now. <laughs> I'm reading uh, The Tao of Fully Feeling by Pete Walker on Kindle at the moment. It's a game changer. You should definitely read it. But that's based on what I've read from the Pete Walker book. That's kind of how this sounds. It's like it's a lack of, it's a lack of being able to process emotion properly. Um, but you should stop doubting yourself that yeah, he, he had problems. He had problems that you, you didn't give him, that he came in with. And then through being in an intimate relationship with you, those problems were um, aggravated and, and, they, and they flared up to the extent that he was into you. So the more he was into you, the more those problems would flare up. It's, it's tragic, but this is how it works. But you can definitely stop doubting yourself that that relationship paradigm wasn't really good for either of you um, and didn't work for you. And you can have certainty about that. Oh, oh, here we go. You wrote more. In a separate post, you said, uh, to clarify the above, he didn't like when I gave loving affection to my kids. Ooh. I see you're in California. I wonder what, I can't ask, it's not politically correct, but there are cultural issues here. I know there are. I know there are. I suspect you two are not from the same culture. And I think that, and you probably don't, as your first language, you probably don't share the first language 
So I don't know your first language. I bet if I sat you two down, his first language is different to your first language, whatever that, whatever that is. Um, and you could say, well, what's that got to do with anything? In this day and age, you're supposed to be culture blind. Well, I've never said this on my YouTube channel before, but I'll say it now because it's half 12 at night and fuck it. Um, 99% of the cases I saw when I was coaching involved people from separate cultures living in where one or both was living not in their country of origin and where their primary languages were different. Why does that happen? I don't know. I have run it around my head again and again and again and I can't I can't figure out why but yeah pretty much pretty much everybody barring a few people uh, the narcissistically abusive relationship was with somebody from a different country a different culture and a different language uh, and a good number would be you know 60 70 percent would be completely different ethnicities uh, meaning you know, like you would walk down the street and you would consider them a mixed a mixed couple. Why? I don't know. I don't know. There's some there's something here to do with uh, there's a, there's a lot of issues like um, I won't get into here because I don't really know what I'm talking about. I just know that that's the data, but I don't know what to conclude from that. So you said he didn't like when I gave loving affection to my kids. He used threats and taking things away as disciplinary action. Well, for some people, threats and taking things away as disciplinary action is not, it's not abusive. It's not, uh, like, you know, me personally, I don't have a problem with threats and taking things away. It depends on what you're threatening. Like, if you're threatening to beat a child, that's not good. But if you say, I'm going to take away your Xbox and then take away their Xbox as a disciplinary action, I, I don't I personally don't see that there's a problem with that. Um he would let them cry if he thought that was necessary. Okay. What's wrong with letting a child cry? And helping with everything around the house. He made them help with everything around the house. How can they sit down when I or he was doing something they must do? What's what's wrong with that? Or maybe me and you are on the wrong page. Maybe me and you are from different cultures, like I'm the child of, of generations of Irish immigrants. If you're lazy, you can be immoral. You can be, you can steal. You can beat people up and you will still be accepted back in with Irish immigrants. But if you don't work, if you don't, like you can do anything. You can be a drunk. You could be a drug addict and you'll still be accepted back in. But if you don't work, it's like the biggest social taboo amongst uh, uh, the, the children of Irish immigrants. Like you are, you are just, blah, that's the worst, being lazy. It's not, it's not, it's, it's never even discussed. Like if you know your Slavoj Zizek, this is how strong the injunction is. It's never even verbalized because that's how strong it is. It's like, it's an absolute, you must work. So the things you're describing, this is doesn't sound like abuse to me like uh some of the things like he didn't like when you gave affection to your kids that's a problem taking things away as a disciplinary action letting them cry having them help around with everything around the house i think they should 
he was also very suspicious of their intent to disrespect him or me. Yeah, because he's not, I'm not, like, that's not okay. I'm not, um, and I wouldn't, a guy like this around your kids is not going to be good because he's too insecure and too uptight about his masculinity. He's wanting to be too masculine. I am the man. Uh, and who is disrespecting me? There's this, like, who the, the disrespect thing, he's, he's really, he's inside of his own head here. Um, or you, it's like, oh, we have to keep the dominant hierarchy or everything falls apart, which I didn't see. And I didn't always agree with his plan of action, which was seen as lack of caring or respect. Yeah, so he couldn't deal with your lack of agreement without it coming through the filter of this means you don't care. Uh, these are, some of these are, are cultural issues. Some of these are personality disorder issues. He didn't like it when you gave loving affection to your kids. That's odd. Um, and maybe gives a bit more uh, legs to my earlier theory that he is the he was an abandoned child, not literally on the side of the road, but emotionally abandoned. I think he was a bit ignored. And there's something with his dad, like he's got issues around his dad, uh, for sure. And I don't, I mean, his dad may have been an absolute abusive tyrant, or he just wasn't there, just wasn't available. So he's, he's never modeled being calm and present and being an authority uh, just through presence and through being loving and through being, um, uh, uh, I can't think of a better word than present. Being loving, being present, by giving. You know, sometimes authority is, is gained through givingness and through just sitting back and just like saying, you know, you should, not even saying you should follow me and follow what I do, you just say nothing. And kids just go, oh, you're doing it, so I guess I'll do it too. If you're helping out around the house, then I'll help out, you know, out around the house too. If you're, you know, because kids will model. Kids do what adults do. That kids copy adults, but they, they predominantly do what they do rather than what they say. I hope I offered some insight there. It might be too late at night for this. Let's make this the last one. Hi, Richard. Is it normal after moving on from a relationship with an MPD individual to have a deep feeling of inferiority? Yes. I think I've answered this question before. I really must find a better way of doing this. It seems that any confidence I used to have is completely gone. And it's affecting my current relationship. It's hard for me to go anywhere with, meet my significant other's family, or do any activity that requires confidence because I feel I'm constantly judged and I'm terrified of being humiliated or deemed as not worthy. Um, yeah, it's very normal to have uh, um, the feelings of deep inferiority following a, a relationship with an MPD. Rather than cover old ground, what I would say is um, go to navs-recovery.com. Layla Lorick specializes just in the symptoms of narcissistic abuse victim syndrome, which is what you're suffering from, and helping people to overcome that. So you should probably probably speak to her. We've got books and courses on, on this kind of thing and a, a bunch of articles out as well. Okay. Oh, that's interesting. No questions. All you guys are watching and you're not asking any questions. That's really weird. Something's gone wrong. I'm probably not online. Everything's ruined. You guys can't ask questions, can you? This Google Hangout thing. You know, I'm grateful. Thanks, Google. Hangout and YouTube and stuff. But this is not it is not a perfect system. Let me go to the YouTube page. Oh, sorry if you've tried to ask questions and it didn't work. Um, I will go to the YouTube page. 
this is just a real quick thing and then i'm gonna youtube page me talking to me whoa it's like the matrix uh somebody said it's domestic violence withholding sex no <laughs> i don't think it's domestic violence uh mr shannonite says i just turned up and you're wanking into a drawer cool that's what i do homie you know you never know it's half 12 at night i'm lonely drawer is looking damn fine hey draw how you doing that's my game hey how you doing nice draw uh why can't i find out how to get this on hangouts i don't know something's wrong with hangouts uh Can you talk about splitting with borderlines? Yes, I can. For those who have CPTSD with prior sexual abuse and are doing the work, do you think that a sex therapist would be of any effective use? No. Um, not that they're not not that they're not useful. It's how should I put it? So you've got CPTSD and it's sexual abuse. And you're progressing through recovering from your CPTSD and recovering from the abuse. The, the, there might be a time in your future where a sex therapist would be of use, but just stick with the CPTSD and coming back to who you are. Like the problem with childhood abuse, adverse childhood conditions, and sexual abuse, and I, I know this myself as a as the victim of sexual abuse. Um, it scrambles your sense of who you are. Unless I misunderstand what a sex therapist is, I mean, hang on. Like my maybe maybe I got maybe I got it wrong. Sex therapist. Bum, bum, bum. A sex therapist can help people with various sexual problems, including in men, lack of desire, difficulty getting or keeping an erection, so on and so forth. Yeah, it, it's so it is it is what I thought it is. Don't um, you need to? Who was I talking to? Maybe I was thinking inside of my own head. There's an idea that we need to go for, which is the egg. <laughs> what? The egg. The egg. The egg. I'll just keep saying it like you should know. So an integrated self with boundaries kind of looks like an egg and it's integrated and it's uninterfered with. It hasn't had its boundaries broken. And when you're the egg and you're integrated and all the parts of you that got split off in order for you to cope with the pain of abuse that sent you into the reaction of fighting, flighting, fawning, or freezing, have been recovered and reintegrated back in. Um, you, I want you to experience how, when that work is done, your, and I mean this, I'm, I really do mean this in the most neutral sense, your sexual landscape changes. And when I say, sexual landscape i mean your libido your what's it called i think eros like that that samangat sense of the sex drive just your lust for life it's not necessarily how you have like you used to i don't know whether you're male or female you used to like really muscular dominating men and now you like more intellectual men of a different body it's not of a different style they're more artsy now yeah well that will happen like the, the tastes will will change as you go through your recovery 
it's that your whole sense of self will be changed. So if you go to a sex therapist now and be like, oh, I only like guys who are, are let's, say, let's assume you're a woman, who are muscular and are like bikers. And I need them to be like modern Vikings with beards and tattoos who like crystal meth and shooting people because that's what it makes the blood pump. It's what turns me on. That's a, that's a man to me. And then the sex therapist goes, oh, let's fix that and change your image of what a man is. It's very superficial where I want you on the deep work to just experience, wow, the power of just dealing with the emotional flashbacks and, and dealing with the CPTSD and overcoming that sexual abuse. And then the, all the sexual stuff, it kind of heals itself. And I, I, I did this back in the early days when um, I had 500 uh, subscribers on YouTube. And I would do coaching with people. I was living in Malaysia and I would do coaching people with people uh, via Skype for like 20 quid an hour. And, you know, I really, really have um, a lot of compassion and a deep level of affection for this guy, if I'm going to describe right now, because he sort of, sort of, embodied the way I felt about myself when I was younger. So he was the victim of, uh, of prolonged, prolonged uh, sexual abuse in childhood, a Chinese guy. Um, and it was just this, it was a very strange situation that he was living in and it was very unbounded and it's, I can't, I, so if you're, if you're, if you're, cultural filters don't want to stray into political incorrectness but also needing to tell the truth there are a way that some people in different areas of the world live that we don't live like in the west if i said to you today in your living room your family's coming and seven of them are going to sleep in the living room you would freak the fuck out wouldn't you well i lived with uh, the chinese in malaysia and sometimes they would just do that they were like oh 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 my family's coming this weekend. I'd be like, oh, you like one person's coming to stay in the living room. No, there's going to be a family with two kids. And they, by the way, they're bringing two friends from the Kampung as well because they've never been here before. I'm like, where? Where are they going to? They'll just be in the living room. And they would just all be there. And so that, because there isn't much money and there isn't much space and the boundaries are just a bit, a bit different. I'm not going to get into it, but like Malaysia has a real problem with um, with child abuse. And I, I, I know a lady uh, from Liverpool who works there to try and help with it. And in some places, uh, let's, let's just leave it. It's too depressing. Anyway, a lot of child abuse this guy experienced from a lot of different sources. Um, he was passed around. He was, pa he was passed around. So when he came, when he came for therapy, when he came for coaching, because I met him through NLP, he came with the idea in his head that he was haunted and that he'd been raised in a haunted house. Again, Chinese culture, the view of hauntings and the view of ghosts is different than it is in the West. It's not, it's not the same. So he said, I am haunted by my ancestors. I am, I lived in a haunted house. And I'm haunted and my life doesn't work. And I am plagued, haunted, possessed, haunted by bizarre 
sexual fantasies like that are overwhelming and they were incest like his primary it's 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 tough to hear this so like if it's too much you should switch this off he thought that he was he he loathed himself and he thought that he was a deviant pervert because his primary sexual fantasy was to have sex with his parents but they were the first people he'd ever had to, and this is like a 35 year old guy whose life doesn't work. You talk about broken Samanga. I mean, he was, he was a mess. And it wasn't, you know, they willingly gave him to other family members. Just, you know, that it's, it's at that level. So I worked with him and through just compassionate dialogue and looking at the problem from different angles and trying to, you know, encouraging him to be non-judgmental to what it was that he had, to what happened. Um, he recovered and he, 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 he was like, oh, I'm possessed by ghosts and therefore I'm really socially anxious because I think I'm going to see ghosts everywhere. And he, he was a, he was a changed guy. He, he completely changed. So, if you brought a sex therapist in, they would want to look at why does this guy have incest fantasies? Why? Let's fucking point at that and deal with that. No, the CPTSD should be dealt with and the childhood sexual abuse should be dealt with and, and healed first. That's the most important thing. Uh, Cindy asks a question. I have a question for you. A word I couldn't hear. I listened a few times and still couldn't clarify the word. You said brainwashing from childhood before the age the child could consent either way forces the child to view the world through, uh, I can't remember what I said, through, based on this context, through a template, through a reality tunnel, through a set of coordinates that is convenient to tyrannical, narcissistic, sadistic personalities like primary caregivers. Yeah. Uh, so their their world their worldview is is corrupted is distorted in this way. It's interesting you asked uh, this question. Somebody asked a question about borderline personality disorder and splitting. Okay, um, I've been looking more at borderline personality disorder just recently than uh, narcissistic personality disorder. So let me give you the. Uh, the definition, the proper definition of how it works. Splitting in borderline personality disorder is also called black and white thinking or all or nothing thinking. It's the failure in a person's thinking to bring together the dichotomy of both positive and negative qualities of the self and others into a cohesive, realistic whole. It is a common defense mechanism used by many people. The individual tends to think in extremes, an individual's actions and motivations are all good or all bad with no middle ground. So splitting uh, or, or black and white thinking requires like a very extreme level of affirmation bias um, where you just see what it is you're looking for in the first place and you ignore huge amounts of data that runs to the contrary. That's, that's how it works. In psychoanalytic theory, this functions as a defense mechanism. Okay, splitting creates instability in relationships because one person can be viewed as either personified virtue or personified vice. You know, when you hear about the Madonna whore complex, like some men carry this around in their head, that either the, the woman in their life is just ultra pure, the Madonna, 
the, the mother of Jesus. I think Isis was uh, was the original Madonna. Pretty sure Isis. Oh, if I put Isis and child in, I get Isis and child soldiers. Yeah, Isis. Um, if you look up images of, of Isis and child, uh, you'll see the original template for the Madonna and, and Jesus um, image. So I was so surprised when Isis jumped out of nowhere, which they did to me because I wasn't keeping up with the news, I guess. And I was like, why are we talking about an Egyptian, an Egyptian goddess? But anyway, so you get this, um, these extremes, the Madonna or the whore, uh, all the way good or all the way bad. That's a kind of, of, of splitting. Uh, this depends on whether they gratify the subject's needs or frustrate them. So the borderline will split you as really, really, really good if you're giving me what I want. And if you don't give me what I want, you're a piece of shit. You're a dreadful person and you always were and you never loved me. That's, that's how splitting is, is used uh, in, in borderlines. The therapeutic process can be greatly impeded by these oscillations because the therapist too can come to be seen as all good or all bad. I experience this at least once every fucking day that I do this work. I will say something to somebody that is a version of a boundary or a no, and they immediately go into splitting and the devaluation cycle, and all of a sudden I'm a piece of shit. And everything that they got of value that went before that is out the window, and then I am judged as a morally wrong person. That's, that's splitting. Um, it contributes to unstable relationships and intense emotional experiences for obvious reasons. Splitting has been noted, especially with persons diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. Let's go down to that. It's, uh, splitting is a common defense mechanism for people with borderline personality disorder. One of the DSM criteria for this disorder is a description of splitting, in fact. A pattern of unstable and intense interpersonal relationships characterized by alter alternating between extremes of idealization and devaluation. So at the slightest bit of negative feedback coming this way where you're not agreeing to all of my demands all the time, you're a bad person. You're not annoying. You're not out of order slightly. There needs to be some implicit moral judgment that everything about you is wrong. Everything about you is a lie and you were always a bad person. That's this then becomes, uh, if you really want to understand splitting and the devaluation phase, you need to Google the terms uh, uh, borderline personality disorder and talionic punishment, T-A-L-I-O-N-I-C. Um, talionic punishment, strictly speaking, is like an eye for an eye. So in the, in the cluster B personality, so this typically will take place with a member of the opposite sex who's an authority figure. So a girl or a woman who falls out with me, sees me as a male authority figure, doesn't punish me as some guy on the internet who she's watched some YouTube videos of. She punishes me as the primary male caregiver in her life who let her down. And so I am then punished for the sins of, sins of the father, as it were. In psychoanalytic theory, People with borderline personality disorder are not able to integrate the good and bad images of both self and others, resulting in a bad representation, which dominates the good representation. The school hypothesizes that they, are, that they consequently experience love and sexuality in perverse and violent qualities, which they cannot integrate with the tender, intimate side of relationships. 
Um, there is, uh, with the borderline personality disorder and people who tend to split a lot, there is a lack of integration. They just, they can't integrate. Um, you're giving me what I want. Now you're not giving me what I want. Ooh, you know, okay. It, it, it's, it's too much. Or they can't integrate these, uh, the, well, people with borderline personalities will usually struggle with intimacy anyway. They struggle with any kind of, uh, of vulnerability. Uh, but the psychoanalytic uh, school particularly hypothesizes that love is consequently experienced is experienced love and sexuality in perverse and violent qualities. Um, so love to the borderline is uh, is usually experienced as something that is a bit abusive, which is why many of the people who find themselves repeatedly in narcissistically abusive relationships with overt narcissists actually have many borderline traits. And they can turn out to be vulnerable narcissists themselves who, depending on how far you want to take it and how much you believe, um, I believe it, you then have the possibility of an inverted narcissist, as Sam Backman defined it, which is a covert narcissist who is obsessed with being abused by an overt narcissist. I will take one more question and then I should go to bed. Majid says, bro, bro, hello, and thank you for your work on one of your courses. It's a lifesaver. Thanks very much. Sandra says, how about withholding sex? That's abuse. So not give somebody what you know that they're craving and know that they want is abuse. I mean, you can't just go, oh, you're not giving me sex. That's abuse. But like the overall pattern, is there a lack of intimacy? Is there a lack of, of physical affection, uh, which encompasses uh, sex as well? Uh, Av Spenk says, damn it, can you delete comments? Ha ha ha. I can delete comments, but I haven't deleted any comments today. What can happen though, Av Spenk, is um, if you say something that other people don't like, uh, they uh, they can spam your comments and then I never say it. Balls says, are you a sock drawer man or a pants drawer man? Oh, it <laughs> sucks, mate all the way those flipping socks they drive me wild rupesh says no anal stories this time richard everybody asked me for anal stories what are you talking about the last word i said on the last one was anal and everybody was like where did it go i thought we were going to get some, some some good stories here and it disappeared uh ab spank your original comment is actually here mate it's not being deleted i find the whole concept of withholding weird how can one withhold something that is mine my bits and bobs uh, this is a very quaint, very southern English expression for uh, your genitals. <laughs> you made me say genitals, man. Bits and bobs. Yeah, they are yours. But in a relationship uh, where you're intimate with somebody and it's a sexually intimate relationship and you're enjoying all of the benefits and the intimacy and the vulnerability of being in a, in a sexual relationship, the other person... Uh, does have they don't have rights to you but like you know you're you're in a symbiotic relationship so you can't just take from that relationship you have to be able to know when it is time to give um as well so it's not that you're just saying oh i don't particularly want to have sex right now and therefore i don't want to it's a consistent pattern of deliberately omitting or withholding what the other person needs. I will continue with your question. I would feel very uncared for if someone expected me to have sex. And you wrote expected with a capital E. Yeah, 
yeah, but I can't quite believe you don't know what I'm saying. Even if we had been together for a while, that does come from my own childhood abuse. Even though that seems to be normal in relationships over the world, I would feel very disrespected. I can't quite believe that you don't really understand what I'm saying here. So I'm going to permit myself to not answer that question as though it's sincere. (laughs) I'm not saying, like, nobody's saying that you have to give it up just because the other person wants it. That's ridiculous. That would be abuse. Um, But deliberately withholding it is also considered abuse by neglect and can annul marriages. And if somebody left you for it, uh, that would be the right thing to do. If you're deliberately withholding uh, as a form of punishment, as a form of because you want to, you're an abusive person, then, you know, that's that's a different thing. So I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure you must you must secretly really know what I'm saying. Um, but no, I didn't I didn't delete your comment. And it, I'm not I'm not I'm not disagreeing with you. Uh, I'm actually agreeing with you in principle that, yeah, sure, if people just demand sex from you. As in some cultures, they, in some cultures, in some areas of the world, and I won't name them, there are certain nights of the week where you're supposed to give it up, and if you don't, you can be in really big trouble. It's a Thursday. Um, no, I'm not joking. How do you send in questions? You just did. A guy asked the question. Donald asked the question. How do you send in questions? I don't see them on here. And he asked the question as he did it. No, I'm kidding. It was supposed to go on the uh, Google Hangout page, and uh, it, it didn't. It didn't seem to work, or people were being shy. All right, it's here now. Mm. If he's MPD or CPTSD, how do you get him to leave you alone if you know it's bad for both of you? Grey rock technique. Hi, Richie. So how do a CPTSD adult children become more streetwise or less naive without becoming paranoid of others' intentions? I asked this on the forum already. Um, How do you become more streetwise? I'll give you a short answer, but it describes such a complicated process that it's facetious of me to give you such a short answer, but I want to go to sleep. You need to learn how to process your emotions. I don't think any of us are as naive as we seem to be. It's a lack of emotional processing. It's a lack of emotional literacy that keeps us trapped in a sort of a a neurotic, faux, naive state. And I've suffered naivety terribly, terribly, terribly uh, for years. And I even said it somewhere in one of the YouTube videos. I was like, one day, I won't be in a pattern where every two months I'm palm striking myself in the head going, why am I so fucking naive? How did I let that happen? You know, um, and it seems to have actually sunk in because for the last year I've managed to avoid most crap that has come my way where normally I would have fallen for it. Uh, last, 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 last question, Yona. Assist in a court case. I don't want to answer legal questions, homie. How do I deal with a narcissist in a court case where he's defending a protection order I'm getting against him? He stalks me and was physically abusive. He blames me for it all. What's the best way to let him show who he really is in front of the judge? I don't know. I can't. uh, I'm afraid I can't offer you legal advice. Um, Sorry. If you have any other question that you want to ask me about how you can manage your state, how you can manage contact with a narcissist. Hey, segue into a sales moment. Let me plug my new course to you, Yona. And then other people who are listening will also want it. I'm going to release a course called How to Manage Contact with a Narcissist. It's really good. I'm working on it right now. I tried to film it today, but the lighting was awful. 
I'm going to shoot it again tomorrow and it will be available probably beginning of next week, how to manage contact with a narcissist. I can't teach you how to make him show who he really is in front of a judge. And anybody who says that they can is going to invite you to do something that could potentially blow up in your face. Over a long enough timeline, you know, these people do reveal themselves, but if he's on his good game, the judge won't see anything. Um, but I can teach you how to get on with your life and help you to have a good time and to move away from him and to, uh, you know, recover and heal. That's predominantly what I'm here for is to help people recover and heal. Um, and that's it. You know, I, I, I try and stay away from everything else as much as possible. Um, and that's what my intention ever was when I started this channel. When I do the work that I do, I'm trying to help as many people as I can to recover and to heal. That's it. That's all this is. And if I feel like people aren't getting the benefit from it, or I don't really do this for the money. There are other industries that I would be in for the money. Um, and this isn't certainly isn't one of them. Uh, if I feel like that's not happening or it's not working or the juice isn't worth the squeeze at that point, I will stop. And I have to be honest, I'm getting to that point. It is, uh, it's, it's, it's a very, very draining, uh, field to be in in fact a lady on youtube said that she'd been watching my physical deterioration over a couple of years and she thought that i was possessed by a demon that's spartacan life coach that's spartacan life coach he needs jesus help this boy jesus oh lord give him mercy oh lord jesus i see a demon she saw a demon in me a dead demon in the Spartacan life coach. I'm not even making that up. And it's not a demon. Um, it's it's just exhaustion. It's This is hard work. You know, NPD and cluster B is, is evil in its essence. So any evil that you want to, like, I, I didn't ask for this. This is something that just kind of happened and I went along with it. But anything that people do in the world that is fucked up, that harms, that tortures, that enslaves, that rapes, that murders, um, I can give you a pretty good explanation for it using an analysis that relies only on what I understand the cluster B. And that is horrible because the template for the abuse that goes on in a house between parents and their children uh, will apply to the way uh, gangs are formed, will apply to the way criminals operate, will apply to how ISIS recruits. I can describe how ISIS recruits and what the typical ISIS recruit will be thinking, what the typical person who, uh, you know, commits mass murder. I have insight now. Rather than just being able to go, oh, this person is just off the charts, I can actually have an insight into that. And it's, uh, it's not very nice. I don't like it. And I have to take my head there every day. Governments, the way governments operate, the way governments exploit people, I have insight into that yay but it's not fun it's not nice having this shit inside of your head all the time so uh yeah i don't know man sometime i will uh, i'll probably stop doing this because i can't i can't disagree with the lady that uh, it's taken its toll on me and that toll is visible and people are noticing now they're like hey your energy since malaysia three years ago has gone down and i'm like yeah can't imagine why <laughs> the spartacan life coach he he done got possessed by a demon. He 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 is channeling the energy of Satan. <laughs> that boy needs Jesus. 
Jesus, hallelujah. And money. Send me money. I'm going to go. I'm going to go the Jesus way. I'm going to become a, a, a Baptist preacher. And uh, I'll do these little talks on YouTube. And then you can all send me money for God. <laughs> because that's what God wants. That's what the Jesus, that's what the Jesus would want. That's what any Palestinian Jewish carpenter would want, right? Galilee, wasn't that Palestine? Don't we love Palestinians? No, nobody gives a fuck about Palestinians anymore. Isn't that ironic? Jesus, this boy needs Jesus. They couldn't even say Jay back then. Jay didn't exist. Uh, anyway. Okay, I guess that's more than enough. Uh, thank you all very much for your time and your attention and your patience with me for rambling tonight. And uh, I look forward to speaking to you again soon. Thank you.